Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. a snippet from uh, Gorgoroth's Incipit Satan, Incipit Satan, Tomato Tomato. That was actually the title track that leads off the album. Super, super powerful Gorgoroth tune. Sort of hear the development from their previous album, Destroyer, which was this amorphous, mindlessly is not the word for it, but just blindingly Hmm. hateful black metal. And this shows like almost kind of a death metal influence creeping in just in the ferocity of the riffing its articulation for one uh, we'll get into it a little bit later but this album was recorded at one of the um the grand studios of death metal but yeah anyway one of my favorite gorgoroth songs and quite a way to to begin this journey and it, and it, it is a journey it, it is a journey we go we go deeper we get a little more experimental we get crazier when I first heard that, you know, coming off Destroyer and knowing the first three albums as well, uh, I was already a fan. I remember hearing this and just feeling like, oh, wow, they've, they've really finally streamlined. And they've yep. modernized a little bit. You know, they're no longer going for that necro aesthetic or that raw basement aesthetic that I, I guess we could say started in the 90s with a blaze in the northern sky and went from there. They were they were doing something else. They were they were modernizing. They were they were honing. They were sharper and beastlier and more brutal. And that's the title track. And I think it's cr- incredibly powerful. It's one of my favorite black metal songs. Period. I, I put it up there really really highly. We we think very highly of this album in general. Let's talk about the album title first. Incipit means basically it begins. Yeah. I guess is that is that close enough to yeah. On the previous episode, you were very adamant about the fact that it's pronounced incipit, which it it is. If you're a classicist in Latin, you are always going with the hard yeah. consonants, right? That's the way I was. But I, I at least yeah, of course, of course. And I asked our friend Chris Ayers, who helped us with another episode a while back. Uh, he's a Latin teacher, uh, a metal fan, and a radical research listener. And he said that you know you could kind of go both ways with it. If you're a classicist, you are incipit. If if not, incipit is acceptable. I think it's the same thing with Celtic and Celtic when we talk about sure. Celtic Frost or the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Nobody says Boston Celtics people. No one. <laughs> so. You know, nobody says Julius Caesar either. That's true. So uh, it, it, there's a lot of ways to talk about it. I know we've talked it to death, but I think it's important because I think a lot of people that know this album and know this band think that this is Incipit. We'll probably try to keep it with Incipit as we move along here. Gorgoroth is based in Bergen, Norway, 
Also home to Immortal, Enslaved, Hades, Borknagar. We can probably say Orcustus is from Bergen just because a couple Gorgoroth members are in yeah. as well. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Those are the main players. The lineup on this album is a new one for Gorgoroth, but at the same time, the lineup was always changing in Gorgoroth, right? I mean, Destroyer was a... The lineup, yeah, the lineup on Destroyer changes like four times. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, as you listen, and if you're interested in such things, you, you have to read the uh, liner notes very carefully to understand who played on what. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, really, yeah. But you can hear the effect of the, the lineups. It's a it's a satisfyingly inconsistent record in that way, where you get different production approaches and different um, you know instrumental approaches. If you can't tell, I'm really kind of fascinated by that album. Uh, you know, maybe one day we'll do a, an episode on Destroyer as well, because I know that yeah. you've probably brought that, that up. That was near and dear to my you heart. You probably brought yeah. that up on 16 different episodes out of 40. Probably. <laughs> Do you like it more than in Kip at Satan? Pound for pound, probably, yeah. Oh, wow. I think it's probably my favorite Gorgoroth record. Mm. Mm. We part ways for once. That, we should do that more often. We should. In Kip, well, Marty yeah. Marty Ritconen will be very happy okay. that we're parting ways. He, he always says we agree too much. Yeah, no, in Kip at Satan is by far my favorite Gorgoroth. In fact, he, I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? I'm going to say it's one, okay. one, not only one of the best metal albums ever, I think it's a perfect album because as we were kind of preparing for this episode, and I know this album very, very well back and forth like you do, and there's just nothing in it that I would take away to make it better or add to make it better. I agree. I, I can't I can't see what I would do to it as a critical listener. So I'm going to call it a perfect album. And I don't think Gorgoroth has any other perfect albums. I certainly don't think even – I know you love it, and I, I love Destroyer too, but that's not really a perfect album, is it? I think, and that's one. I guess that was sort of the point that I was trying to make. Is it's got all these, <laughs> these blemishes, but they make me love it even more. Like it's, it's a. I think I like it more than in Kip It Satan. Not necessarily because it's a technically better record, but because it's a more perplexing record. It's a more fascinating record for me. Like I never really feel like I truly know that album. You know what I'm right. saying? It's like it's like volatile. And like even after a hundred listens, I hear new little things in it. Right. Yeah. No. Understood, man. That, that's a that's a great d- defensive destroyer, and, and unfortunately, a not very well liked album. And I and I think in Kippet falls into that category as well. It's at least very controversial. It's, They're both controversial. It's yeah. Both are polarizing. Um. And and for different reasons. For very different. As, as yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get into some of the um, <laughs> some of the uh, stylistic choices that have led to this heated debate no doubt before we uh continue our listening and our dissection of this let's just talk about the lineup because this lineup as opposed to destroyer uh is very different and of course it's very different than anything from the first three uh gorgoroth albums as well of course it centers around guitarist infernus aka roger teagues he is pretty much gorgoroth we also have uh i think for the first album for the first time we have king of hell Yes. A.K.A. Tom Cato Visness, uh, who played a pretty prominent role in Gorgoroth later. I don't I don't think he's got a whole lot going on on Inkipit Satan in terms of input other than, you know, his. Well, he was yeah brand new to the band at this point. He was. And it should be said that the writing on Inkipit Satan is mostly done by Infernus and the other guitarist Tormentor. And then that leaves us with the drummer. Sergeant Erickson, who I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, he certainly looks very different than the other guys. Um, He's, he, he, he gives me bad vibes. <laughs> is, it, is it the suspenders? It, it could it could very well be the suspenders. <laughs> and the, the, the short hair, if I got into like a, you know, a dark alley confrontation with those guys, as scary as Infernus is, Sergeant Erickson's the one I'm running from. Well, he's wielding a scythe as well. well it, it, precisely. And a wife beater shirt. And uh, see – it's all adding up, right? <laughs> well, look, look, I mean, you know, I'm sure. Some- hey, can we just say, like, I, for me, we haven't really talked. We we usually don't talk about these sort of extra musical things, but just for my money. This is Gorgoroth. Um, I know where you're going. Go there. I was just going to say the most intimidating looking, like aesthetically perfect black metal band ever. 
Oh, okay. You're talking about aesthetics. I thought you were going to talk about crimes, rapes. Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm not interested in talking about any of that. Rape is a crime. And and I want to say this, and and let me be perfectly clear. I in no way doubt the authenticity of their beliefs and their convictions. I mean, they've made it pretty clear that they are, you know, committed to their beliefs. But I will say this. They always talk about how the message is so much more important than the music. Music's just a vehicle for that. And I don't really buy that. There is no way that a band that doesn't care about music, or at least as much as the lyrics, could craft an album quite like In Kip It Safe. Yeah. The compositional accomplishment, the range, I mean, everything. I mean, it, it you know, it, it's evidence of a band that has mastered its craft. I think they're so seduced by their ideologies. And of course, I think they're, I don't want to speak for them, and this is a horrible thing to say. But I think they're probably quite proud of some of the crimes they've committed. And I think that this will to power thing, this, this Nietzschean thing is sort of has gone to their heads maybe at this point. I don't know, but you're right. You raise a great point. That's all well and good. They can, they can believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. We're not here to judge that. I'm not here to condemn them or praise them for sure on on any of that stuff. They've made an amazing metal record with Inkipid Satan. And I think, the earlier Gorgoroth is equally amazing. I mean, they're for me. Oh, oh they, but yeah, the, those first five albums are pretty much unimpeached. For me in black metal, it's Bathory, Death Spell Omega, Mayhem, and probably Gorgoroth. I think those are the big four for me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're really high up for me. It could be, and for, for good reason. Yeah, they're the same. The first five albums. Just a, a real quick uh, note about extra personnel here. We have Daemonian, the alias of uh-huh. one Ivar Bjornsson of Enslaved, uh, who plays keyboards on this album, as he did on Destroyer and uh, on the first three Borknagar albums. Yeah, 2000 was a pretty big year for him because not only did he play on this, but he also uh, played, wrote uh, pretty much entirely um, Enslaved's masterpiece, Mardrum. Yep, yep. Norway was Norway was very, very productive in 2000. <laughs> yes. Um, Spiral Architect, Borknagar, Gorgoroth. Mayhem's Grand Declaration. Uh, Slay, Mayhem. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting some. Wasn't uh, wasn't Evar like 18 in 2000 or something like that? Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> also, one of, like, one of my major insecurities is how young Evar Bjornsson was um, when he was... Hell, well, yeah, I mean, pretty much through the entire 2000... I mean, the entire 90s. I mean, he, I guess he was about 13 when Enslaved got together and recorded the first demo. That's... Pretty nuts. Yeah, I think he was 14 on Hordanus Land. Right. Right. Which is insane. Also, John Notvite. Right. I, I mean, he was like 16 when they wrote the Somberland. I was just starting to master the peanut butter and jelly sandwich at 13. I, you know, I, I wasn't yeah. creating the, these uh, seminal black metal demos. Also, the album, interestingly, is produced by Thomas Skogsberg in Sunlight Studio. That's not a name that comes up with Norwegian black metal, usually. You know, Skogsberg was a, an enemy of the state at one time. He was he was like the uh, the the Scandinavian Scott Burns, totally. <laughs> yeah, right. But here we are, and this album is far better for it. I think the production is another thing that lends itself to its perfection in my ears. They credit Skogsberg in the booklet as guitar sound technician. One word: guitar sound technician. Let's listen to the second song from this album, this great, great album. This is a song called A World to Win.
So that's a world to win. This curiously melodic, and in fact, by far the most melody I think ever heard in a Gorgoroth song. Um, that galloping rhythm really kind of brings to mind something from the world of like Gothenburg melodic death metal. Oh, for sure. I, I've always heard that in there and I can't get it out of my head. And it's not back in 2000 when this came out. It wasn't like a bad thing yet. Um, I think that scene, that sound became really predictable, really generic uh, shortly after this. So at that time, it felt really novel to me in a, in a positive way. Also, uh, we heard in that snippet those accents that are like these aggressive lightning strikes. Yep. That reminds me of the hungriest most badass man of war because this is what they would no really it's it, it's there you could you could uh, a b it with you know any given moment from some early man of war it's there sure but of course this is Gordon. i never heard that before but i'd totally hear that it's now. there yeah you can just kind of see demayo just with his rickenbacker just go, going crazy and um this is gorgoroth though so we get something distinctly sinister very savage did we hear them hinting at all that they were going to do this on any of the previous records. I don't think so. Not to this extent. No. I don't think so. They, and they always, they had a, a, always had a weird relationship with melody. I mean, they're known as one of the more savage and uncompromising of the black metal bands, but especially um, like on under the sign of hell, um, there's a lot of really just atmospheric kind of melancholy guitar playing on there. And I think they, they've always sort of hinted, at an ability to write melodic music, but I mean, they've never gone any, I mean, they've never committed to this extent for sure. Next, we're going to play a snippet from the third track on the album where if you haven't caught on yet, we're just going to go straight down the album uh, track by track. Um, this one is called um, Litany Till Satan, which was uh, inspired by uh, the Charles Baudelaire poem, Litany's De Satan. It's a, a part of a larger work called uh, La Fleur de Mal, uh, early, if not a, a truly symbolist work, um, then certainly a, a maybe prototypical work. Uh, and uh, it introduced a, a style of poetry that would um, catch fire in the uh, late 19th century in France, particularly. And while we're on this subject, they uh, in the booklet, they cite some sources of influence not only Baudelaire, obviously, and Nietzsche, which who we've already mentioned, but also uh, Burzum, Jay Delville, and of course the <laughs> ever-present in this world, it seems, Alistair Crowley. This is a bit from Litany Till Satan. I can't even say Satan right. Satan. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> oh my god, dude! You yeah, you sound like a like an enthusiastic like Italian devil. Satan, Okay, this is uh, Latani till Satan. Uh, 
we're three songs in. We haven't talked about vocalist Gall yet, who we both admire quite a bit in terms of his artistry. Very much so. Um, he's amazing on that song. I'm assuming that's him because there is another. It, yeah, it, no, it, it's him. Yeah, he's he's incredible on yeah, that song. I can confirm that. I mean, what he's doing something that we haven't heard from him before. Uh, not sure we heard it on any Trolldom albums. It's it's just a yet another kind of new vocal facet for him, right? Yeah, no, he he's like the Mike Patton of of black metal, um, in terms of how far he's willing to go with his voice. Yeah, that's just a commanding um, it, vocal performance. It's croaked yeah. out. It's it's hypnotic. Man, it just works so good. I don't know if I can add anything substantive beyond what you've said. Like you said, we're huge fans of his work in in uh, in Gorgoroth. Jeff and I are both massive fans of his vocals on the uh, second Trelldom record. I like that record musically too, but it would be a different record uh, in Gaul's absence, I would think. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, he, um, in a lot of ways is his, you know, in, in metal, especially like in, in extreme metal, you can get away with uninspired generic extreme vocals. I, I don't think that a lot of bands care as much. It's just a thing that you have to have. A lot of music listeners don't seem to care that much. For me, Gaul is as critical um, to the full effect of this album as any of the instrumentalists. And in fact, I think he takes his role in the band more like an instrumentalist than a singer. And he and he completely adapts to this new chameleonic Gorgoroth. Yeah. I mean, he's right in there with him. I mean, you know, and you saw that a lot in the 90s where, with bands that started progressing and kind of growing out of their roots, but the vocalists weren't able to keep pace. Right. Um, and that's not the case here. Not at all. Not at all. And, and I think, you know, Gorgoroth laid ground for personality and character from the very beginning, from, you know, the, the, the early albums, Pentagram and Antichrist. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think those, even though they're like more orthodox black metal, more traditional black metal, I still think they had this really interesting, deviant, you know, kind of exotic personality somewhere in there. And that's sure. you know, probably that's all coming from Infernus at first because he's he's kind of the engine of this thing. But yeah, now they're really blossoming into this band of, of characters. You know, it really, it's very dependent on the lineup in terms of what you're going to get in, in the final result, right? Yep. Um, and we're talking about an album that is sort of mutating as, as we go through. Like, you know, the first track in Kip It Satan, we listen to that. That's brutal black metal and, and songwriting excellence, it has to be said. The things we said about World to Win, you know, we, we mentioned the word Gothenburg and Manowar in there. And now this litany till Satan, you know, and, and we're going to hear it continue to morph and evolve. And that's the thing about this eight song album is it it just states its case every single song. Like every single song is an adventure unto itself. There's like amazing distinction, like track to track. Absolutely. I mean, it really like every song has its own identity. I, I love that about this, this album. I was looking at the booklet of the Blue Tauce Nord album, the work which transforms God right. the other day. And of course I had incipit satan on my mind as well all week and there's a quote in there that i want to read because it just reminds me of the impulse behind this sort of metal this kind of post black metal norway that we love so much and and this is the quote we charge tradition with being an excuse for idleness unpersonality and regression we praise evolution for being the logical consequence of creation progression and elevation end quote to me, that sums up everything about a band like Blue Dows Nord or Despel Omega or, sure. or Gorgoroth circa 2000, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you, BAN, for that wisdom. I feel like a minister reading from sacred text here. Um, <laughs> speaking of text and booklets and, and books, I, I'm sitting here looking at the booklet of the uh, the CD the original Nuclear Blast pressing 2000. We have pictures of Tormentor, Gaul, Infernus, and Sergeant Erickson. Unfortunately, King of Hell, what, what was he doing at this time? Was he... Probably commanding his legions, man. Probably commanding his legions. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got a day job. Okay, I thought I, I thought he was going to be yeah. grocery shopping, but... Yeah, probably yeah. not. No, he's, 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 I mean, he, he's got minions to Isn't he a for. teacher? Is he? I heard he was some sort of teacher. Yeah, like like a legit. You know, no, no, no. You're, he, he, that's totally true. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, it's like three degrees. He 
was at one time working on some music um, with a guy from Atlanta that uh, that Chris knows. What? Um, I don't think anything. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Seriously. Yeah, that's crazy. But I'm looking at these pictures of, more of, of these guys, and they're they're standing um, in front of artwork that ends up giving them horns on their head. And I, I have never noticed that as a uniform thing across all these photos until I was looking at this tonight as we were listening mm-hmm. to Litany Till Satan. So um, it's a little silly, but I like the eccentricity of Gorgoroth. So I'll take it. I enjoy it. And I will skip past the picture of Sergeant Erickson and probably never look at that ever again in my life. There's nothing silly about that. <laughs> that is the... Stuff of nightmares. Let's listen to the fourth song, the one that ends side one, if you have the vinyl. This is not the same song as the Joe Cocker song of the same name. This is Unchained My Heart with three exclamation marks, probably to distinguish it from the Joe Cocker song. Yes, I just said Joe Cocker. You know, um, I remember when Enslaved's Mardrum came out, how interesting it was that they took some turns into what I'd basically consider true death metal. Mm-hmm. And I hear Gorgoroth doing that here. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going full on death metal in that song. They've got those, the big chunky accents, the muted accents, um, pinch harmonics. I mean, a lot of the devices that we associate with traditional straight up death <laughs> definitely pinch harmonics i'm like what are we in immolation world right now like <laughs> thankfully not that many pinch harmonics that's a lot of pinch harmonics. <laughs> totally god damn <laughs> yeah unchained my heart three exclamation marks i guess you gotta mm. yell that when you when you say it but um even the song title a little strange for oh. a band like Gorgoroth, right totally yeah totally <laughs> And, and there's more strange song titles to come. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, One in particular. We'll get to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, do you, what do you gather from the song, from the album title, In Kip It, Satan? Uh, I've always kind of, I guess from their perspective, thought that everything begins with Satan. Okay. <laughs> kind of that, the, you know, the demonic alpha and omega. Right, right. Okay. Shall we move on to the next song? Let us cabbage 
our bad comedy aside, <laughs> uh, this next next one is called an excerpt of X, um, which I think is probably like the best Burzum song that Burzum never wrote. Yeah, we're not going to listen to this part in the snippet, but there's that first minute and twenty seconds or so that's just a right. wash of you know hypnotic guitar chord. It's quite beautiful. It's oh, it's completely absurd. It's frosty. It's obscure. Uh, and then we get into the song proper. In the liner notes, they mention that this was, quote, done by Infernus and Infernus only, unquote. So I guess we that means that the sort of Sprechesung style vocals that are in here somewhere are Infernus. You're right. Yeah. It's interesting that they made a, a choice to say that this is Infernus and Infernus only. Mm. It's already his band. <laughs> right. Um, but okay, that's cool. Let's check out this incredible song excerpt of X. unadulterated beauty to me i love that song so much um i particularly love that floating atmospheric guitar line um that's just draped in the perfect amount of reverb that suspends over that that entire passage um yeah and i really like the effect of the vocals too well and that's Um, yeah that's another thing about this album is it's it's production there's production here Right. You can't right. really say that about Pentagram or Antichrist, as good as those albums are, and you want them to be exactly what they are. You know, they're, they're documents um, and not production pieces. Sure. You know. And they got into the world of production with Destroyer a little bit, I'd say. Uh, but this one just takes it all the way and, and quite far. And, and again, you know, it's, it's so interesting because where this sits in their discography comes after Destroyer. We've talked about that 137 times on this podcast at some point. Mostly you. Um, and I love you, brother. Love you too. But I just don't love Destroyer quite as much as you do. But I like it a lot. But 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 it sits there as the fifth album after Destroyer. And then you get what I consider kind of uh, um, a back – not a, even a backpedaling, but just sort of a, a regression in quality. You know, Twilight of the Idols has some interesting moments, but it's not great. King of Hell is hugely responsible for a lot of the writing on that album. Um, Infernus wrote 
one song. It was the outro. So his role was diminishing at that point. Uh, and then you got the next album, some Latin thing that I can't even remember the name of, but I think it's a really unremarkable album. So there's no need to remember the name. Uh, I don't know what you think about that one. Um, I, I really kind of lose interest after Inkipit. And then there's um, Twilight, Twilight was solid and serviceable, but I mean, that's not what I'm looking for. And then there's the next one, which was kind of in furnace sort of taking the reins back a little bit. I think quo, I don't know. Begins with a Q. Uh, another Latin, <laughs> another damn Latin thing. And um, damn, damn Latin. I'm vexed by that Latin. But it, uh, that also, you know, it's good. But it just it never they never regained that like song for song personality or character that's in in Kippet Satan. The the hunger. This is where the bar is now for Gorgoroth, and they just never right. sort of they never went above that bar again. They just never really even got close, in my opinion. That's that's where it sits. I, I think it's definitely like a certain apex in their discography. Are we hearing a six eight riff in an excerpt of X? Oh yeah. Uh, should we save more this right. for episode sixty eight? No. No. Well, we have plenty of 6 8 to get through. <laughs> uh, we could just play like the first Necrophobic album. I hope we can play some Blood of My Enemies by Manowar. Absolutely, we can. And we'll start with that. Okay. We, we've hinted what our 68th episode is. Let's get back to episode 40. We're going to move on to a song that I'm not even going to try to butcher in Norwegian. Do you want to take a stab at it? Nope. Sure okay. don't. <laughs> You're pretty adamant about that. We've had some fairly embarrassing moments with the uh, with Scandinavian languages on the show. Klaus Jensen so. lets us know that, and he's he's right to do that because you know it's funny because starting this podcast, both you and I were more comfortable with writing about music. I had right. I had no thought, I had no idea whatsoever that I'd have to be dealing with pronunciations. This is yeah, you know, and it's a, and, yeah, it's a daunting thing. And what are we wanting to cover the most of? Norwegian, Norwegian yeah, of course, of so, course. you know, I mean, maybe a language that we can't even fathom. Hopefully someday Apparently. we'll take, we should, we, you and I should take a class just to really show our stuff. Ian Christie once wrote a book on Van Halen and as a prerequisite to writing the book, he learned eruption. He, he, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. He made that a challenge to himself to learn that on guitar. So that he felt that he was worthy of writing about Van Halen. I think to be worthy of talking about Norwegian post black metal weirdness, we should learn the language. It sounds like a fair trade to me. Okay, so listeners know how to donate to us if they want to uh, help us with that. But anyway, the sixth song, we're, we're going to translate it into English. It's A Stench of Blood and Hellfire.
Okay, that's interesting because I, I feel like this is the second and last dive into what I'd consider pure black metal rage on this album. Mm. The title track and then this. The other six are surely deviations from that, right? Do you agree? Totally. Totally. And we're going to deviate further. We are. Yeah, we're going to go from that storming momentum, which, goddamn. And that's, I mean, that's as feral as any of their pure black metal yeah, from their, say, their first three records. Could have been on any of those. But it, it's like, it's. I guess it's like what you said earlier. Like, there's this new kind of hulking presence to the band, like a sharpness. And even though they go back and, and sort of revisit traditional black metal, they do it with these new uh, new resources in tow. Totally, yeah. But I, I could I could believe that like that was one of the first songs he ever wrote for the band. Like that was from the Sorcery and Blood demo or something, you know. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, we're gonna get to Will to Power. What what do you, what do you want to say about this interesting song? <laughs> Why don't we play it and then we'll talk about it? <laughs> Fair enough. Will to Power. <laughs> It's not really a song in the traditional sense of the word, obviously. I love that all those sort of influences that you would imagine, and and this is typical, I think, of Norwegian metal culture in general, or at least black metal culture is a real curiosity and dark music that goes beyond metal. I think um, Martin Ain one time said that they're, are m- more shades of darkness than just black. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm pretty sure. I, I, I know, um, yeah. yeah. But I, I think you hear a pronounced coil influence in this song. I hear, um, I definitely hear any number of cold meat industry bands. Sure. Bands from sure. that Swedish label. I think it comes at a perfect time in the record. And I love the way that it transitions to the very end of the record. But it's never been some throwaway soundscape thing to me to me it's like it's inserted exactly where it needs to be and it does exactly the job that it was intended to do i love that point i you know i was going to say the same thing i love where it's at at position number seven of eight it's not an intro it's not an outro it's not an interlude it does kind of work as a traditional song in the sense of its positioning the bridge between you know the 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 burning black metal song before it and then this kind of curious closer uh at the end it's also interesting, too, because Gall did this apparently all by himself, according to the liner notes in the booklet. And that alone, you know, we, we talked about Infernus doing Excerpt of X, and then Gall had his will to power. This is like, was this the Beatles' White Album? <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
but this underscores like the interesting element of this album. Like it shows the band operating at their highest level as a collective, but right. I think also individually. I think you get a lot of individual stuff here. You you certainly get a lot of Gall doing. I, I think some of his best career work. Certainly in Furnace, it's a high point for him. And I and I think Tormentor. You have to like look at him, and this is probably the best album he's ever been on. And there's a lot of lot of great guitar throughout. The oh, album. absolutely. So Will to Power sort of underscores that aspect for me. Also, did you notice that backwards vocal part in there? It sounds like it's just tape played backwards. Right. I played it backwards on my turntable. I've got a vinyl version of this, and unfortunately, it's unintelligible that way as well. Um, <laughs> it sounded like Excellence Alter. But it's probably Norwegian and therefore no great help to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> I, I appreciate the effort. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, yeah. We've been through quite an experience with the first seven songs, and it ends so curiously. So curiously. Uh, this song is called When Love Rages Wild in My Heart. I suppose we'll listen let you kind of absorb it as you will and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. committed half of an episode to that one song dude i had the same oh. thought when i was listening to that <laughs> I, mean, I did i was like we could do a whole episode on one song some someday uh i guess we did that with the groption at solar music but we could do it with other songs and this would be one of those 
Yeah, there's a lot to get through in that song. We didn't. Even I mean, to they are thing, yeah. like shuffling through ideas, amazing ideas at blinding speed. One of my favorite passages that we heard, or it's two passages really, is when they shift into like completely lethal thrash mode and <laughs> all those accents. Yeah. And then that loping six, eight part that follows with those amazing bass lines. Yeah. That is the love that bass work. And it's like, you know, where, where's more of that? I want more of that. Sure. Yeah. I, I think it's a fascinating song and no matter what album it's on or what artist is doing it, but the fact that it's a Gorgoroth song on, on, what I consider the best Gorgoroth album and certainly one of your favorites. It's it just, it, it's stunning. And it, it's one of those two where you read some reviews, like for instance, on metal archives, there's a lot of great reviewers on metal archives. I'm sure most people listening know that, but a lot of them like talk about like laughing about that song or thinking it's funny or thinking it's some kind of throwaway novelty. No. Uh, not at all. Not at all. I, not to, at me, all. to me, it brings the perversity and bravery and commitment to individualism. That was the original impulse for, early Norwegian black metal in the first place. Right. I, I think, I think it, it embodies that completely and it's, it's no less. And, and also another um, extraordinary vocal performance. Let's talk about that. That's by actually a guest performer named Michael Crone, who uh, has recorded under a few different names since like the early nineties, I think maybe the late eighties, uh-huh. a guy uh, he's gone by Tom Trussell and he's uh, credited here uh, under one of his other pseudonyms, which is Mickey Faust. He sounds very much like an Ian Asbury meets Danzig sort of crooner. Totally. And he it, he is literally crooning on the song, too. Which yeah. I love. Yeah. And, and I'll admit, I mean, back back when I first heard this, my the, my first listen to this, I was I was shocked. I was like, okay, even even with the previous seven songs, wow, and they're going there. Yeah. <laughs> And, the th- and some other like, shockingly um, melodic guitar ideas on that song as well. And then they then they get into production. They get into some weird effects. And um, yeah, it's uh, what a great cap to to a really great album. Totally, man. love rages wild in my heart. And just for the record, in case I didn't make myself clear earlier when uh, defending Destroyer, and Kippet is easily my second favorite and not very far behind destroyer yeah no that's that's okay man i mean i I, you know destroyer's that like that woman that's just absolutely no good for you (laughs) but like you can't help it that's that's what destroyer is in my life she's whiskey and and kippet satan is wine i don't think anyone could have put together a a better metaphor (laughs) destroyers my poison whiskey man there you go man that's cool and and kippet's my wine see that's the thing i don't like whiskey i like destroyer a lot more than i like whiskey but i i get (laughs) i get your point i get your point and uh i think perhaps one day we'll have to do something on destroyer just it just comes up too much like you said because of me because of you (laughs) and kippet satan we love you and Furnace, we hope you're doing well out there. Yep. Gall these days is doing his uh, Gall's Weird project, which is a, is a really good album. One of the better ones of 2019. Who knows what Gorgoroth is doing? So we'll we'll just leave we'll leave it at that. I think King of Hell may be in the latest Abath thing. I'm not sure. I I, I haven't kept up with that because I've I've been mostly bored by that stuff. He's uh, he's gone, Shirley D'Angelo. There you go. <laughs> hey, man, even the King of Hell's got to make a living. You bring up Charlie again. I think that's two episodes in a row. I don't know why I like making fun of Charlie D'Angelo because he actually played on a, a few things that I do like. Um, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he's cool, but I got I to gotta yeah. be honest with you as, as a buddy, and you know, we'll just let everybody else listen in on this. Um, I miss the Voivod and flute references, so we'll have to get back to those, hopefully. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> we haven't talked about Voivod in a, a while three episodes i think i probably could have made a, a ham-fisted attempt to mention voivod and those chord voicings and that little passage that we talked about from uh when love rages wild well you you just did end of episode all right cool perfect <laughs> yeah you're, okay. you're welcome everybody we have a correction in our previous episode, the In the Woods Family Tree, we alluded that drummer Anders Cobro did not play on Green Carnation's The Quiet Offspring. He, in fact, did play on Quiet Offspring. Uh, we try and get our research right always, but we are human and failed Cobro on that one. Sorry, man. 
Please give us a review on iTunes. Please find us on Facebook. Please check out our site, radicalresearch.org. You can even find all previous episodes and every future episode now on Spotify. I am pretty stoked about our next episode. That would be episode 41. Um, We are going to cover five bands that we think were well-deserving of record deals, but never got them. We're going to be talking about Canada's medieval, loosely associated with um, Oblivion, a a favorite of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll be talking about New York's embryonic death and focusing on their extraordinary demo, Streams of Solidarity. Hail. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. Indeed. And if you've never heard it, you'll understand why we hail it so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We'll be discussing uh, Chicago Syndrome, who have um, gotten a a nice posthumous presence thanks to Century Media's very, very well done uh, reissue of their demos. Also, another favorite of ours, and shout out to our uh, brother, Jason Walton. Uh, We're going to be talking about Finland's godly paroxysm, a band that should be far, far more well known than they are. And Epitaph. Ah, Epitaph. A little band um, out of Florida. We're going to be listening to a couple of tracks from their 1992 promo, which was um, produced by Scott Burns and features vocals by Tony Teagarden, who you may well know as the death metal vocalist on Cynic's Focus. Which is Um, a pretty good record. I mean, for the time. (laughs) It's dated. Yeah, so dated. That album laughs at other albums. It, it surely does. Still. <laughs> I, I can't wait to do that one. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's a yeah. lot of really great stuff. Unfortunately, we won't be able to uh, point anybody toward actually buying physical copies because there's not a whole yeah. lot other than, I, I suppose, the syndrome. Actually, the Embryonic Death uh, Streams of Solidarity demo came out on a compilation of their demos. So, uh, And you remember after, God, uh, 20 years of hunting the medieval, I called you. Yes. When I found it on eBay, it was a big and I think I even put like a four hundred dollar bid on it, <laughs> just so nobody would. I ended up paying like six dollars, but still, <laughs> like, that, that thing was mine. <laughs> That's how this stuff goes sometimes. You would have paid four hundred. Oh no no no, man! I was I had I was cocked and loaded. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would have paid just about anything. Love your commitment, man. That's amazing. <laughs> Please join us for that episode forty-one on the run up to fifty which we've already hinted will be into the pandemonium. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff between 41 and 50. Please join us for that and more. Be there or be hip. Yeah.